0: The gospel. It's a story of how God created us to be in a relationship with Himself. But time and time again, we stubbornly go on our own way. More importantly, it's a story of how God doesn't give up. He loves us so much that when we couldn't save ourselves, He sent His Son to save us. He sent Jesus. How we come to know Jesus is the most important story in our lives. Not only is it the story that saved us, but it is also a story that has the power to help others. We call those stories testimonies because they tell the truth of who Jesus is. They testify about what he has done for us. And by sharing our story, we reveal his goodness and his grace to others. There is power in telling your story of how Jesus changed your life. And I believe that story can change the life of people around me. So I will tell the story of who I was and who I am becoming in Jesus. I will tell the story of what He has done in and through me. I will tell the story of how Jesus saved my life. I will testify.
1: All right. Well, good morning, friends. How's everybody doing today? Question Is there a more buttery voice than that of Dan Singer? (laughs) No, there is not. The answer is no, there is not. So, I also, by the way, I'm James. I'm one of the pastors here. I did student ministry for 28 years. Couldn't recommend it more highly. It's really hard, though, Um, but it was awesome. So, I would encourage you, if you're thinking about it, to take that leap. We are in week four of our testify series focusing on sharing our own stories of God's love and grace as a means of sharing the story of God's love and grace, the story of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to hear the testimony of a godly woman named Ruth, who lived over 3,000 years ago. It's a story of deep faith in the midst of hardship It's a story of God's grace in the midst of human failure. And ultimately, it's a a story that represents the redemptive power of the covenant love of Jesus Christ. The, The book of Ruth is located toward the front of your Bible. Like kind of over here goes Joshua, then Judges, then Ruth. We'll begin by setting the stage for Ruth's life. And then we're going to dig into three chunks of her story. We won't be able to go through the whole story. So you might want to take some time to read through it. Take you 15 minutes this week to to get through the whole thing. But we're going to cover enough to gain a good understanding of how God saved Ruth. And we're going to see what we then can learn and apply from her story. So let's jump right in. Ruth lived in a land called Moab in around... Uh, 1300 BC Moab is here this is Israel over here you see Bethlehem Jerusalem she's east of the Jordan River that's during the time of the judges in the Bible we know that Ruth lived after the Jews had entered the promised land because Boaz Boaz is the other main figure in this story Boaz's mom was Rahab and you might know that story Rahab was a Gentile prostitute who helped the Jewish spies escape Jericho early in the book of Joshua. And God rewarded Rahab by sparing her family when the Jews came and conquered Jericho. So it was after that, since Boaz is her son, we know it's sometime after that entrance into, it's during the time of uh, maybe 100 years into the time of Judges. Moab was the sworn or one of the sworn enemies of the Jews. You can see it's outside of the promised land. It's east of the Jordan River. Moab and Ammon were two sons born out of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters, way back in Genesis 19. And so to the Jews, this was a despicable thing. And they despised the descendants of Moab and Ammon because of their sinful origin. In fact, in Deuteronomy 23, it says, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the Lord's assembly none of their descendants even to the 10th generation may ever enter the Lord's assembly and further the Jews were commanded not to pursue peace with or to seek the prosperity of a Moabite or an Ammonite now the period of the judges was a period of persistent idolatry on the part of the Jewish people um, and the men who were assigned to lead them. This is prior to the, the, um, the time where the, the Israelites had kings. In fact, in Judges 21, it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what seemed right to him, <laughs> which is not a good thing uh, when we do what seems right to ourselves. Um, and the people were very disobedient. Their judges became increasingly wicked. And so God... and and don't miss this, out of his unending love for his people, God would discipline them accordingly in order to draw them back to himself. And so it created this cycle where the Israelites would chase after idols and then God would warn them and he would send judgment. He would withdraw his favor. Or in this story, we see that he he brought a famine on the land. He, He wouldn't protect them. Then the people would cry out to God for help And then after a short period of repentance, the cycle would begin all over again. That's Judges in a nutshell. Twelve Judges, one after the other. The story of Ruth stands in stark contrast to that pattern. This is a story of redemption and rest and what it looks like to respond in faith to God's grace. Okay, you with me so far? Everybody good? All right, let's go to Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. Now, by the way, Elimelech's name means uh, "God, my God is king. Naomi means pleasant. The names of his two sons were Malon And Chilion, Malon and Chilion's name Mean sickly and weak Not good names for your son That's why I have a very good friend Who just named their daughter Ruth And another good friend who named their son Boaz I don't have any friends who named their kids Chilion or Malion So far So if that's your name I apologize They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah They entered the fields of Moab And settled there Naomi's husband Elimelech died And she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Malon and Chilion died. And the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. Okay, so the story begins with famine, which is a terrible season to be in, regardless of what part of of history you're, you're in. It's dry. The people are hungry. You go from frustrated to anxious to desperate, right, as the famine grows worse. Famine is one of the ways that God would bring judgment on his people, hoping that they would repent and return to trusting and obeying him. Now, the fact that there was food in Moab, which is just 50 miles away from Bethlehem, and there was a famine in Bethlehem, would indicate this famine was God's doing, right? And so Elimelech packs up his family, goes across the Jordan River, probably up over this way, uh, and into Moab, an enemy of the Israelites, to find food. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever come up with a human solution to a God problem. That's exactly what Elimelech does here, right? By leaving Bethlehem, which by the way means house of bread, he leaves bakery, right? (laughs) And he flees to Moab. He's showing that in spite of his name, Elimelech does not really believe his God is king. The solution was to trust God not to run from God. He seeks refuge from God's loving judgment by fleeing into the arms of God's sworn enemy. Now, don't anyone raise your hand. Don't look at anyone. But how many of us have done that? I'll tell you something. Running from God never improves our situation with God, ever. Amen? It might provide some short-term relief, Right, They settle in the fields of Moab. The sons find wives. They have some celebration there. But in the long run, no matter the circumstances, we're always better off with God. Nothing gets better without God. They go to Moab to save their lives. And very quickly, what happens? Elimelech dies. The family patriarch is gone. Then both of his sons marry outside of the faith. Moabite women, no less. This was forbidden by the law in direct disobedience to God's commands. And then they both die as well. Now put yourself in Naomi's shoes for a moment here. It's gone from bad, right? The famine was bad. And then to worse, and now it's just unbearable. She's away from her homeland. Her husband and both of her sons have died. Just unspeakable grief there, right? And as a widow in their culture, she had no hope, no pathway back to prosperity, right? It's just kind of part of the way their culture was run. Her only remaining connection is these two Moabite daughters-in-law who have no place in God's assembly. So far, Naomi's story is one of tremendous trauma and loss and hopelessness. And then the story takes a turn. It says they were in Moab for about 10 years. Now, in the Hebrew language, numbers mean more than just quantities or amounts, right? For example, the number three represents new life, fruitfulness, unity. And so we think of the the three Jewish festivals or Jesus rising on the third day to give us new life, right? The symbolic, the unity that comes from that. Uh, Five represents grace and strength, so on. Each number has its own little sort of meaning. The number 10 can mean the end of a cycle of judgment or it can mean testimony. Interesting, that that's the series we're in right now or the, a testimony of God's grace. And that's exactly what happens here in the story. It says, the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. After 10 long years, The cycle of judgment is about 10 years, right? The cycle of judgment is ending and the rest of the book is a testimony of God's saving grace. All the bad stuff's up front here in the book of Ruth, right? Now, many of you, I'm sure, can relate to Elimelech and Naomi. Naomi, I've been told, is a better way to say it. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home or became a believer at a young age and then some point you entered a season of willful disobedience uh, to God's commands. You knew what you should be doing and then you kind of pushed away. And when God chastened you, you ran. You pulled away from your church or from your Christian community. You sought refuge. You had your own little Moab, right? Could be worldly wealth or um, these guys married outside of the faith or it could be anything. Uh, You can fill in the blank wherever your journey took you. And at some point you realized, I thought I'd be better off without God, but I'm not. And you've found, or you're maybe you're in the process of finding your way back to the church or back to him. Uh, my own story is much more con- connected to the perspective that Ruth would have had. Put yourself in her shoes for a moment. As far as we can tell, we don't know much, but Moab, life in Moab for her was going okay. There's no famine in Moab, right? She's a kid growing up, scholars believe. She's probably 10-ish years old when this story begins at the beginning of the book of Ruth. Now, the Moabites participated in a cult of, of a pagan god called Chemish, And so it's likely that Ruth did not grow up knowing the God of the Bible, right? And probably wasn't looking for him. And then, as part of God's sovereign plan... Nothing Ruth hoped for, or asked for, or even knew about, a family of believers moves into her neighborhood. And that began a series of events that over the course of 10 years, which included a marriage and the death of her husband, this whole sequence of events that God unfolds gives Ruth the opportunity to become part of Of God's family. It's it's unlikely and miraculous that this would have ever happened. Now I remember when I began to look back and connect the dots on some of the things that God had done to move into my life at a time when I had no idea that I needed him. As a high school junior, what I did know was I was lost. I was lonely. I was empty. It was a season of famine. I was empty. I was desperate but I didn't even know it was a God problem. So I tried human solutions. I was firmly entrenched in my own little Moabs, right? Seeking fulfillment in substances and violence and anything that I could do to just feel anything. And what I didn't know and what I never asked for was that a couple of years earlier, before I had gotten to high school, a guy by the name of Brad Johnson had moved all the way to Cincinnati. I lived in Cincinnati at the time from the East Coast, and a bunch of people had raised money to pay for him to do that. And he moved into this apartment above a garage across the street from my high school for the express purpose of sharing the love of Jesus with kids at my school. At a time I wasn't looking for God, he brought a community of his people into my presence. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, wait a minute, Pastor James, are you saying that God used the disobedient actions of Elimelech to show up in Ruth's life. And at the same time, the faithfulness of people like Brad and others to show up in your life. And in both cases, that's part of God's sovereign plan. And the answer to that question is yes, absolutely. In fact, that's our evangelism challenge for today. We do one of these evangelism challenges each week is to trust God and his perfect plan even when it's difficult to see how it's unfolding. We'll come back to that here in a moment. Now back to our story. Orpah went back to her family in Moab. And of course she launched a wildly successful daytime talk show. She was awesome there. True story. Orpah uh, was the original name of Oprah Winfrey. Did you guys know that? She was named after this story. I learned that from the great Rabbi Google. So it must be true. Um, But that's not part of the sermon at all. Um, (laughs) Ruth decides to continue to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Two Gentile women. One, Orpah, goes back to the familiar. One, Ruth, takes the risk. A step of faith. Travels to a new land to be part of a new culture to encounter the living God. Verse 19, it says, the two of them, that's uh, Ruth and Naomi, traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. And the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. Mara means bitter. Remember, Naomi's name means pleasant. Listen to what Naomi says here. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Wow. And so Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess, and they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now when you've lost as much as Naomi has lost, You have every reason to be bitter, I think, right? You wonder where God was when you needed him. Why he allows such affliction. It's difficult to trust that God's plan is perfect when parts of that plan include outcomes that are far from perfect. And yet here's Naomi. She's got all that churning up inside of her. She feels abandoned by God. And she returns to God's land in spite of it. She's being embraced by God's people. She's taking a step of faith. Trusting that it's always better to be with God. Even in the midst of your trials. Especially in the midst of your trials. Especially when your life seems so empty. And so desperate. And so they arrive in Bethlehem. Breadtown. Right? In the... Midst of the barley harvest, the famine is ending, right? There's fruitfulness in the land. The barley harvest is in the spring. Now, in Leviticus chapter 23, it says this. When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap all the way to the edge of your field. Imagine that, that uh, my field would be this room, uh, the back edge where you guys are and you guys are and up here. Keep that area uncut, Don't gather the gleanings from those parts of your field. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. That's like a foreigner. I am the Lord your God. So the Lord, by his mercy, mandated a cultural practice of generosity into the community of his people. And the practice was, those who have extra food, you're to to kind of be intentionally sloppy, with your harvesting, right? Leave some of your crop unharvested so that those who don't have food can access food if they would like to come and get some. Now, Naomi's late husband, Limelech, had a relative of, of noble character. His, and the Bible says he was his noble character. His name was Boaz. And it appears that they moved back into sort of the area where their family plot of land had been. And so Ruth requested permission to gather gleanings from Boaz's field. Ruth is one of these foreigners, one of these poor people, one of these. It it's also talks about the widow. You need to provide for these uh, people who don't have means to provide for themselves. Now, what does that mean that she's asking for permission to go into Boaz's field? It means in a time of rampant disobedience to God's word, Boaz was keeping the law. I'm sure there were other fields around where they, especially after a famine, where they were cutting all the way to the edge, right? Boaz had left his corners unharvested, as per God's wishes. Apart from the faithfulness and obedience of Boaz to God's word, Ruth would have never even gone into his field. Now, Boaz is a is what's called a type of Christ in the Bible. He's not Christ, but he. Uh, his life is a foreshadowing in many ways of the life of Jesus. Some of what he says and some of what he does reminds us of Jesus in advance, okay? And so he sees Ruth out in the field and she's working hard and he asks about her and that's how Ruth and Boaz end up meeting. This is their first conversation that we're gonna read through here. Keep an eye out for everything that Ruth doesn't earn And doesn't deserve, but still receives due to the grace extended to her by Boaz. This is chapter two, verse eight. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. Ruth fell face down, bowed to the ground and said, Why have I found favor with you? Now the word there in the Hebrew is chen, which means grace, favor, unmerited favor. Why have I found chen or favor with you so that you notice me although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you have done since for your mother in law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me, how you left your father and mother and came to your native land, uh, and how you came to a people you didn't previous know. Uh, May the Lord reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, she said, I have found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. Very powerful interaction there. Okay, so everything that Ruth received through grace, through the chen, the favor of Boaz, this might not be everything, but here's a few things. A family is first. Boaz calls her my daughter. First thing he says, You're one of me. He receives a home. Boaz tells her to gather grain only in his field. There's lots of fields out. I want you to be part of this family, this homestead. Community. He says, Stay with my servants. Go where they go. Do what they do. Ruth would not have known probably anybody else in the whole land other than Naomi when she came back. She's a Moabite. Now she's got people. He provides protection and dignity. He says, I ordered the young men not to touch you. Now there's debate about all of what that could mean. Was she at risk of being assaulted? Was it, who knows? There's some different things there. But he makes sure he says to her, you have nothing to be afraid of, right? You don't have anything to be ashamed of either. Provision. The, 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 um, it says that she carried out, I can't remember the amount it was. It was like a bunch of pounds of this <laughs> wheat on her first day. Like more than I could probably lift myself. It was like 45 pounds. Uh, go drink from the jars the young men have filled. You're going to have fresh water. You're going to have bread. And then comfort and encouragement. She says that herself. She says you have comforted and encouraged your servant. So you can see why Boaz is considered a type of Christ. Jesus himself is all of this, right? I am the bread of life, he said. I am living water. You need to go nowhere else other than to me for provision. I am the good shepherd. I will protect. I will lead. I will guide. Uh, He is the one who gives us comfort. And it's through Jesus that God invites us to be part of his family and gives us a home. In John 1:12 it says, "As many as receive Jesus and believe in his name, to them he gives the right to become children of God. We become sons and daughters of the king through Jesus. We call God father. He calls us son and daughter, and child. And as members of his family, we become part of a community of saints with a future eternal home that waits. We don't have to look for another field to go and glean, right? In Christ, we can trust God to provide and protect, to comfort and encourage. Honestly, our posture and mindset toward Jesus should be the very same as that that Ruth had towards Boaz, she fell face down, bowed to the ground and said, why have I found favor with you that you should notice me? And there is no answer to that question, right? God's grace is so undeserved and so unexpected, it's really unexplainable. Now the writer of Ruth refers to Boaz as the family redeemer for Naomi and Ruth. In their culture, that meant that not he wasn't just a relative. He had the capacity and the legal standing to provide for Naomi um, what Elimelech and her sons were no longer able to provide because they had passed away. Um, and so this, this title of family redeemer meant a little bit more. To redeem someone really just means to, to compensate for their faults or their bad aspects, to overcome um, their flaws. And we don't have time to go into all the details, but in chapter four, we see Boaz was the first person um, that, that um, stepped in, uh, wasn't the first person in the line to step in as the family re- redeemer. There was another person whose name is not mentioned in the story, Um, And so Boaz actually purchased the right from another man to redeem this family and and the land of Naomi. And in the process, Ruth becomes his, his wife. It's very much the same way Jesus purchased with his flesh and blood our redemption and then calls the church his bride. That's why Boaz is always seen as kind of this metaphor. Now here's how the story ends. I don't want to leave Naomi behind. There's a cool sort of PS that happens here. This is in chapter four, verse 13. It says, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He slept with her and the Lord granted conception to her and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well-known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better than you than seven sons, (laughs) has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became a mother to him. Now, it doesn't mean she was his actual mother. The word there actually means caretaker, caregiver. Some translations will say nanny. Uh, but uh, Naomi takes this child as her own. The neighbor woman said, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And so you see here, this comes full circle. R- Ruth was first redeemed because Naomi, Naomi brought her to the land. And then Naomi is now redeemed through Ruth, who otherwise she never would have had that opportunity. And the women in the community recognize it immediately, right? Blessed be the Lord who has not left you, they say. Naomi has been restored to God, restored to her community, but more importantly, her life is renewed and sustained even in her old age because it says she became a mother to Obed. She became Obed's caretaker and it's God's way of miraculously allowing her family line to continue even though she was past childbearing age. We have a few folks here. There's a reason why people don't have children when they're as old as Naomi, because that's just better that way. It's hard, but this was joyful for Naomi. Um, She persevered in trusting God through her bitterness, and she recognized and she lived out the reality that it's always better to be with God than without him. Now imagine if Ruth were here today to testify about how she became part of the family of God. I mean, the story she could tell about how God uh, in, in his perfect plan wove together both famine and harvest, obedience and disobedience, faithfulness and bitterness, all to bring this Moabite women, woman under her, uh, the wings of God and to restore this Jewish mother-in-law to her place under those same wings. It's a really cool story. And that takes us back to our evangelism challenge. Ruth's testimony would be of what it looks like to trust God and his perfect plan. Think about everything that God wove together in Ruth's life. and We didn't even cover the half of it. There's so much more in this story. That's amazing. Couple of practical steps that we can take to grow in our own trust for God and his perfect plan. Number one, keep a record of the way, ways God is faithful in your life and share it with others. A journal is great. Always have a way of looking back because in the moment we forget, right? But if we have a way of looking back, oh my gosh, God did this. I can't believe. And I could tell you hundreds and hundreds of stories like that. Secondly, be transparent with others about the famines and losses that you have faced and are facing, right? Now, this is something I've been experiencing recently myself. I have been on the struggle bus for most of the summer, mentally, physically, emotionally. It's been a really challenging season for me. I just have not been able to be myself. And um, at first it's just, it's just a pride thing. You just feel stupid, like something's wrong. I don't know what it is. You just, you're just like, and so people close to me, they would notice. And you know, I just kind of tried to fight through it myself. They're like, are you okay? And I'm like, yep, I'm fine, right? I'm fine. Feelings inside never expressed, right? Fine. And uh, you can write that down, yeah. And finally, I began to think, okay, this is something that's happening. How is God using this? Why is God involved? What's going on here? This is a God thing. One day, a buddy of mine, he actually chased me down in the parking lot after we played a game of paddle ball. And he was like, James, I don't mean to, you know, be, to overstep my bounds, but you seem way off. Like, it's just not like you. Is everything okay? And I said, no. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but something's not right. You're right. It's just, I've been off. And he just listened. And even just that 10 minute conversation, it was so good for me. Uh, Didn't solve all my problems, but it was good for me. And so for the past few weeks, I've just been making the effort to be transparent, letting folks know what's going on. Would you please pray for me? And God has shown his grace to me through his family, through my family of friends and believers. And and now each time someone asks me how I'm doing, it's it's like a little wink from God. It's an opportunity for me to say, I'm struggling. And God is saying, James, child, you're my child. You're my son. I've got you, you're under my wings. I got a text the other day from a friend. He's like, I heard you were struggling. What's going on? How can I help? And then the next day we talked for an hour. And it was like, man, it was just felt like undeserved favor, unexplainable. The other cool thing is, through this season, it's kind of gone from frustrating to like desperate, you know what I mean, kind of a thing. Um, God has put me in so many situations where I've been able to testify about Him to others, and others have been able to testify about Him to me, like random nurse. Earlier this week, I was at an appointment and she went through all the questions and then I had said I was a pastor. And at the end, she shared her testimony of faith with me just out of nowhere. I was like, that was awesome. Some people I never would have met otherwise. Others where the relationship has gone deeper. Keep a record of the ways God has been faithful and then be transparent with others about your famines and your losses. And then the third one is, anchor your life in the truth of God's word. And choose to believe that truth even when the circumstances of your life push against it, right? Because here's the really cool thing. Ruth's story is our story. It's not related to our story. It is our story. Her husband, Boaz, was born of a Gentile prostitute whose life was spared by God miraculously. She herself, a Moabite widow, was saved and brought into Boaz's home as his wife miraculously. Only God could have orchestrated these events. Her grandson was David. And then over a thousand years later, the Messiah Jesus was born out of the family line of Ruth and Boaz, which is how we gained access to salvation. That's how perfect and wide-reaching God's plan of salvation is. God is able to use anything and everything that happens to save people. We can trust him. Let's uh, end. I'm going to have you just close your eyes. I'm going to read this passage from Romans 8 as our closing prayer here together. This is verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified he also glorified, amen.